about last week was kind of benedictions and doxologies, and so I figured, well, what better way to be done with that? <laughs> so the end of the discussion on prayer and all those kind of things, I'm going to move to something else. I'm an Old Testament guy. You know that if you've been in here. Pretty much Old Testament is the focus of what we do. But I have wanted to uh, study Peter for a little bit and just haven't tackled it because First Peter and Second Peter have some incredibly difficult stuff in it. And uh, one of the cool things about being in here with you guys is it gives me the reason to jump into a challenge. Because if I say I'm going to do it, it's the kind of the same thing when we did Revelation. It's basically like jumping in the deep end when you don't know how to swim. And either you're going to figure it out or you're going to drown. So that's kind of where, where I am. I want to do Peter, though. I've wanted to for a while, so we're going to do it. But before we go to First Peter and start through it, we need to look at who he was. And kind of address that first. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. I asked the group last night. It was pretty funny. Can you describe a teenager with one word? And and keep it clean. What? Rebellious. rebellious. You know what's crazy? That was the very first word last night. Like in a second. Rebellious. Difficult. Difficult. That's a good word. Huh? Challenging. Yeah. All knowing, yeah, exactly, yeah. Huh? Can you just scream? <laughs> We've all been teenagers. Some of us have raised teenagers. Some of us still have teenagers. I think of the word hard-headed. That's what comes to my mind. All those things you guys said are right, and kind of in that same category of all knowing. You know, you know everything. Got it all figured out. Even when you mess up and you clearly are wrong, you still got it figured out. You know, and and. Uh, Hard-headed is what comes to my mind. You hear a lot of men talk about how hard-headed women are, and sometimes you hear women talking about how hard-headed men are. Maybe it's the other way most of the time. Elvis Elvis has a song. It says, well, a hard-headed woman, a soft-hearted man, been the cause of trouble ever since the world began. Yeah, ever since the world began, a hard-headed woman been a thorn in the side of man. Now, Adam told Eve, listen here to me. Don't you let me catch you messing around that apple tree. Ever since the world began, hard-headed woman been a thorn in the side of man. Now, Samson told Delilah loud and clear, keep your cotton-picking fingers off my curly hair. It, you know, it blows me away that this is a song. You know what I'm saying? This is a actual song written by a superstar in the day. I mean, anyway, he goes on. He says, I heard about a king who was doing swell till he started playing with that evil Jezebel. Ever since the world began, a hard-headed woman been a thorn in the side of man. How many women in the room are ready for me to be finished reading this song? <laughs> the next line says, I got a woman, head like a rock. If she ever went away, I'd cry around the clock. So, funny enough, after all that, he can't do without her. But I bet he found out what it was like to do without her if she, re- if she read that song. Um, pretty heavy. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Number one. No, I'm not even, not even going <laughs> But anyway, regardless of how you look at hard-headed people, there's, there's a truth that a lot of them make the best leaders. Not all of them, but a lot of them make like really great leaders. 
Why do you think that is? Huh? They don't give in. They stand their ground, yeah, to some degree. Huh? Sometimes that's a problem, obviously, but... Yeah, they think they, they usually won't move until they're sure they're right. Um, these, these things are true. I think the hard-headed people just don't ever just take something for... I mean, they, they wrestle with it, and they wrestle with it, and they wrestle with it, and they probably drive you crazy wrestling with it. But once they accept it, they'll die for it. You know what I mean? That same hard-headedness translates into something they don't they don't twist on it so as we move into peter i think he's about as big a picture of hard-headed as it comes and you're going to see that today and the importance of looking at peter and seeing who peter is before we just read or study first and second peter the importance of knowing who he is is you got to understand the tone of his voice you know, when you read a book, it's real easy just to read read words, especially the Bible. We get really bad about just reading the Bible like it's a bunch of to-dos and things. But it's a letter. And I don't know, you guys know as well as I do, if you've ever sent an email or a text message that got completely misunderstood uh, because there's no way to see the tone in the letter. Emojis might help, but you know what I'm saying. If you don't look and you don't study Paul, you may not realize that Paul was a pretty big smart mouth. Like a huge smart mouth. So there's sometimes where Paul is saying things and he's not giving you practical things to do. He's being a smart mouth. He's being very sarcastic about some things. But if you don't know about Paul, you won't pick up on that. Same thing's true with Peter. We need to look at him. So here's dictionary.com's definition of hard-headed. Listen to this. Two definitions they had listed. One was not easily moved or deceived. Practical. That's good. The second definition was obstinate and stubborn. <laughs> so both of those kind of go into that thought. So here's what we're going to do. If you got a Bible, awesome. If you got digital, whatever, awesome. Either way, you're going to be doing some serious flipping today. Severe. Fingers are going to get me. You're doing some serious flipping today. Because what we're going to do is look at Peter. And we're not going to dig real deep this week. We'll get to that, believe me. We're not going to dig real deep. We're just looking at who Peter is and most of Peter's life, obviously, is recorded in the Gospels. So what, what are the Gospels? I know they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't tell me that. Somebody said that last night. I know that's what they are. But what are they? They're a biography of, of Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's four different witnesses telling what they saw. So some saw some things. Some saw other things. Some things all of them saw or recorded or put down for us to know. So in this case, uh, we're going to be jumping around through the Gospels to get a good picture of Peter. So go to John chapter 1. If you went to First Peter or Second Peter when I said it, sorry about your luck, we're not going there at all today. So that'll be next week. We're going to jump around Gospels today just getting a picture of who he is. So go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John the author he doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about Jesus' birth. He talks about who Jesus is as God. But then he kind of jumps straight to John the Baptist and Jesus' arrival. And in John chapter 1, in verse 38, John the Baptist tells a couple of his disciples to follow Jesus, who has just come to be baptized. And in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw these two following him. And he said to them, what are you seeking? What do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Yeah, their first concern is, where, where do you call home? He said to them, come and you'll see. So he says, come, come on with me. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. 
or it was about the 10th hour, so he had a place, wherever it was. One of his, excuse me, one of the two who heard John speak, or heard John the Baptist is who's talking about here. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So right from the start here, by the way, you can know that all throughout Simon's time with, or Peter's time with Jesus, his brother was with him. The biological brother was with him the whole time. And it says in verse 41, his brother Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So immediately he comes and he says, your name is going to be changed right from the start. Changes it to Peter. So his name is Simon. Peter is his title. All right. But anyway, he changes his name. He says, you're going to be changed. Your name is going to be changed to Peter, which we know means the rock later. But why does he change his name? Who else has God changed names of? Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah, you know, Jacob to Israel. Yeah, Paul to Saul. What made the the change? What's the, what was the purpose? Let's put it that way. What was the purpose in changing that name? Yeah, a change in their life, a lifestyle. Life, life changed by an encounter with God. So that's what's happening right here. So what do you think Peter said when he told him that? That's what I think. I think Peter was like, okay, whatever, you know. But what I want you to see here is he followed him right from the start. This is the beginning for Peter. Peter followed Jesus right from the start. So there was no, like, Jesus having to beg Peter. There was no, like, Peter having to be terribly convinced of anything. Peter was right in right from the start. He was like, okay, I'm with you. Don't know what you're talking about with this whole call me Peter thing. My name is Simon, but okay, I'm with you. I know I'm adding a little, but you'll see why I feel like he's that way. So, as I said, we're going to jump around because of different perspectives. So go to Luke. The good news is the Gospels are all side by side, so you can get there quick. Luke chapter 5. And you're going to see here, and and you all probably know a lot of these, but we're just looking at a picture of who Peter is. In this, Peter doubts Jesus, but then he turns around and kneels to him. Watch this. In verse 1. Chapter 5 of Luke, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is synonymous with the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, which means they were finished. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, before I go any further, they've been fishing all night long. Now they're all they're in the morning cleaning their nets. And now the rabbi wants to preach a sermon to the crowds. So the rabbi gets in and preaches the sermons to the crowd. What do you think Peter's eyes are doing right about now? You know what I'm saying? You know, he's got to be tired as well as everybody else, that the others that have been. I know he's got to be exhausted. And uh, now, watch what he, he tells him to put out for a catch. Or what does Peter do? What, what is he? He's a fisherman. That's what he does for a living. 
What does the rabbi do? Teach us. Okay, Jesus, you did your thing, okay? You taught. Don't tell me how to do my thing, you know? Watch what he says. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Listen, we know what we're doing. We, by the way, it says, not just me, we. He's in a business here. We worked all night. There's nothing in this lake to catch right now. We didn't catch it in the night. We're not going to catch it now. And, but then he says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. Again, you got to see the tone. This is not profound faith. This is, but if you say so, whatever. We'll drop the nets. You know, we've been up all night. I've listened to you preach all morning. Why not? We'll drop the nets. Fine. You say so, we do it. And, and, and he's being a smart mouth, clearly. I mean, the tone here is obvious. He's being a smart mouth. Another thing, by the way, he put his faith in this Messiah uh, earlier, and so did the others, but now they're back fishing. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Nothing wrong with that. They didn't do anything wrong here. Jesus is up in the region of Galilee where they're at, so it's not like they left him or something. They're all still there. They they, They work for a living, so they're still working. Up to this point, watch this, verse 7, excuse me, verse 6, it says, uh, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help, and they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to his knees in the boat, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Uh, I don't think he's saying, I'm a sinner by nature, and I was born into sin, and I've been a sinner all my days, and you are a holy man, you are God. I don't think he's saying all that. He may be, but I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's doing is, oops, you know, I think he's just, he's been a smart mouth. He's smarted off. He's, he's been like real sarcastic, even doubting, I think. You know, sure, fine, we'll drop the nets. And then all of a sudden, it almost pulls the boat in the water. And I think he hit his knees and goes, Lord, forgive me, you know, I'm, my, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm, I got to. A stupid mouth, a stupid mind, a sinful guy. You know, what am I saying? What, I'm, I'm sorry. Look what it says. Um, For he and all who were with him, I'm in verse 9, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So what does it mean that they were partners? Yeah, yeah they got another boat. We got a business going on here. In fact, in one of the Gospels, it talks about these two brothers' father be in there as well so this is a business this is not just like two fishermen out there for the afternoon trying to feed their family this is a full-scale business with multiple boats and multiple employees and jesus said to simon do not be afraid from now on from now on you'll be catching men so don't freak out it's okay don't freak out from now on you'll be catching men and when they brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him so from this point they leave it all behind and they start following him. So now they're they're in it. Remember, his name is Simon, and he changes it to Peter. But Peter means rock. So it's not Simon. When you see, and you will see this, Simon Peter, that's not a first name and a last name. It's more like a title. It's like Jesus Christ is not a first name and a last name. It's Jesus the Messiah. Simon Peter is Simon the Rock. Okay? That's the idea. So when you see him mixed or whatever, keep that in mind. So... You got a moment here where he doubts, but then all of a sudden he falls on his face pretty quick. You know, my fault. But now we see the flip. 
his faith is like super strong, and then he doubts. Go to Matthew chapter 14. And I know we're jumping around, but we're moving chronological. So all these things are in order in terms of the progression of his life. And we're not looking at every single moment in his life, just some of them. So Matthew chapter 14, you're familiar with this one as well. Verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to his disciples who were in a boat walking on the sea. Now, this again is the Sea of Galilee. So for us, it'd be a lake. We wouldn't call it a sea, but the word calls it a sea. So this is a massive storm going on, too. What do these people in this boat do for a living? Fishermen on this lake. So they're real familiar with this. So this is a significant storm. All right. And it says, but when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Yeah, no kidding. I think I would freak out, too. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. It is not. Do not be afraid. Yeah, that would not work for me. I would still be freaking out. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would still freak me out. I, you know, I'm just being honest. Even if I knew it was Jesus walking on the water, that would still scare me just a little bit, especially in this context because they didn't have all this fantastic stuff that we have to look back on to decide who Jesus is. They're still like, I think they're flipping out. Clearly they are. And he says, it's just me. Don't be afraid. Again, that don't be afraid. I don't know how many times Jesus has to tell him that. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. Now, of all of the dumb things to say, I'll just be honest. Why in the world, you know, this is, I'm just getting a picture of Peter. I'm not trying to get into theology here. I'm just trying to get a picture of Peter. Why in the world of all the things to say, Lord, if it's really you, let me get out and walk on the water too. That's crazy. Why not just say, you know, anything? I don't know. I, I can think of a million better things than that. But, but that's what he says. You know that. You know the other guys in the boat are like, "What did you say? Uh, you out of your mind?" And then uh, Jesus said, "All right, come on." So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So he didn't just get out and go freak out like we. He got out and got all the way to Jesus. He walked all the way to him. All right, that that's mind blowing, obviously. Walked all the way to him, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So, what do you think happened here? We beat Peter up pretty bad for this one, but I don't think it's that bad. We've got a lot of Christian bumper stickers based around this little passage here. If you take your eyes off Jesus, you'll sink, you know. It doesn't say that he took his eyes off Jesus. He may even have been standing beside him, because he walked to him. So what what's actually happening? Yeah, he allowed his circumstances to cause doubt. What, what, I think what he did is he recognized his circumstances all of a sudden. Like I think he just suddenly realized, wait a minute, this is impossible. <laughs> and I don't think it was that complicated. I think he just realized, wait a second, this is not possible. How is this possible? This This is not possible. And then he started to sink. And then Jesus grabs him, pulls him right back up. And he says in verse 31, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Yeah, I guess so. Not only did he walk on water, but as soon as he gets in the boat, everything goes still. Okay, so you had one moment where Peter was doubting, but then all of a sudden, okay, you, yeah, I'm a simple man, you're a holy person, and now 
the flip happens. He gets out and does the impossible, walks on water, but then turns around and doubts for a second. Show you another one. Go back to John chapter 6. This is one of my favorites. John chapter 6, Peter declares absolute loyalty to Jesus here. Jesus has been teaching some like really difficult stuff, very difficult stuff. And like the Jews are lost what he's saying. In fact, he's got a lot of disciples, more than just the 12. And a lot of those disciples are really having a hard time. They're like, Jesus, you, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't get it. And you're, you're, you're getting crazy here. And it even tells you that uh, in verse, what is it, 60, when many of his disciples heard these things he's teaching, they're like, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Like, what are you even talking about? We don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. And they say, you know, they end up leaving him, turning around and leaving him because they, they, think, they think he's gone crazy, so to speak. Verse 66, ironically, John 666. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, so now he turns to the 12, he says, do you want to go away as well? Now, do you think he knows the answer to that question? What is it? Obviously, he knows the answer. So this is not about Jesus trying to figure something out. Verse 68, Simon Peter, Simon the rock, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, do you, how do you think his attitude is with that statement? That's probably, that's a great way to put it. Dude, I'm all in, but this ain't easy. I think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying here is not some great, like, deep, worshipful statement. Uh, I think what he's saying is, what else are we going to do? What is the alternative? Where else am I going to go? I think that's exactly what he's saying. It doesn't have the word there, but you could put the, the thought is there. You alone have the words of eternal life. Where, where else are we going to go? I mean, you're it. What else are we going to do? And he says, and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, which is an awesome little thing. I don't know if he even knew he was saying it. But the Holy One of God is a title of God himself in Isaiah, I think, 43, 42, around there. You can look back. But in any event, yeah, he's making some profound statements here. But I think in the bottom of the moment, he's just... Where else are we going to go, man? You're it. We believe who you are. But, yeah, you just, the way you put that was great. We believe we're all in, but this ain't easy, God. This is Jesus. In this case, same difference for us. But Building on that, go to Ma back to Matthew. Go to Matthew 16. And Peter makes a epic confession, which you guys know this one as well. So he's declared this loyalty to Jesus, but he's also done it, too, in a way of saying, hey, you know what, we believe in who you are, but where else are we going to go? In Matthew chapter 16, he takes it to a whole nother level. Look at verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which is in the north of the nation of Israel, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, well, who do you say that I am? Simon the rock, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son. So Simon, son of Jonah. John refers to his dad by the name John. They're synonymous, so there's no contradiction there. 
Matthew uses the word Jonah, but Hebrew-wise, they're synonymous. So uh, anyway, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What does that tell you about Peter here? The Holy Spirit's... Well, it didn't figure out on his own. Yeah, we could say the Holy Spirit did, but Jesus said my Father did. So he didn't figure it out on his own. Did did all the disciples make that confession? No, just him. So it's crazy. It's almost like Peter had some kind of special relationship with the Father here, but... I don't think Peter, not because it wasn't something Peter was cultivating is what I'm saying. Something that God had focused on Peter with. You know what I mean? God had set his mind on Peter here and, and Jesus is saying, you're blessed because my father told you that. And then he goes on, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice he changed his name to the rock a long time ago. Now he's telling you why he changed his name to the rock. Because he's going to build his church on it. What's Peter's response? Doesn't say. I think his response is, cool, what's a church? <laughs> that's what I think. That's what I think. Some believe that the uh, Israel in the Old Testament was a picture of the church. Or that the church has uh, is the same. Israel and the church are synonymous. I don't agree with that. And you all know that if you've been in here a while. I don't think that's the case at all. Because if a lot of reasons, but even just in this sentence, he says, I will build it, not I will continue it, not I will grow it further, not I will rebirth it. None of that. He just says, I will build it. So he's talking about building something that didn't previously exist. And he's saying he's going to build it on Peter's confession. He tells him, I'm going to build it on you. But he's talking about his confession here. But I don't I think Peter was like, what's the church? I don't think there's any profound thing and i'll tell you why because he misses jesus completely because look at just a few verses down look at verse 21 from that time from the time of that confession and all that from that time forward jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to jerusalem suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised so from this point forward jesus dimes out the plan to his disciples to a t dimes it out even the resurrection the whole thing Dimes the whole thing, even three days dead there, the whole thing. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> right after he had done all that, you know, he, he pulls himself and says, whoa, 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 Jesus, man, come on. Let's not get crazy here. Come over here with me a minute. We need to talk a second. You're freaking these dudes out. You're freaking me out, Jesus, you know, calm down. And he says, uh, this shall never happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. Nobody going to kill you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. I mean, imagine that. I mean, this is a moment where Jesus calls Peter the devil. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's heavy. Uh, that's real heavy coming right out of what he'd just done. You get this picture of Peter, man. It's a pretty wild guy, right? Let's keep going. Go to Luke chapter 22. Uh, jumping back over that way. I'm glad these are all four together. Luke chapter 22. Now we're moving towards Jesus' death. 
And in fact, this is uh, the moment, a moment where Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he's about to be going away. He's about to die. And Peter insists on going with him. Peter is saying, well, I'm, wherever you're going, you tell me I'm going, I'm going with you. And he's like, you can't go where I'm going to go. And he says, no, I'm going. And then in verse 31 of Luke 22, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, listen up. Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I don't know about y'all, but that is little comfort. That's just a little bit freaky. You know what I'm saying? When Jesus says, uh, he doesn't say, but hey, he can't have you because you got me. You're with me and he can't have you. He didn't say that. He doesn't say, but he has no authority over you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say any of those things. He just says, but I'll pray for you. Now, if you're going to have one person pray for you, that's the one to have. You know what I'm saying? But, but that being said, man, that's, that's rough. And he says, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So he knows that his faith is going to falter. But he says, hey, once you come through that, strengthen your brothers. That's not encouragement. <laughs> Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day, uh, will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Imagine Peter hearing these words on the backside of saying, I'll go to death and prison with you. Go over to John, same, moving along, go back to John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, a few minutes later, shortly after this time, they're in the garden. You know this story as well. This is where Simon cuts off the ear. Funny thing here, this story is in all four gospel accounts. All four of them record this action by by Peter, but only John rats out that it was Peter. The rest of them just say that it was a one of the twelve or one of them with them or whatever. Uh, John goes, now Peter, you know, John throws him straight under the bus. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Why do you think it says that? It's a definitive thing. It happened. It's a historical fact. Malchus was a person that would have been known to those who read it. It's a long way back for us, so it's easy for us to blow over that like it's nothing. But that's a big deal. What he's saying is this happened. You can, point being, you can go find Malchus and check his ear out. That's what he's saying. Okay, go ask him. Y'all know who he is. Go ask him. That's what he's saying. Verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What happened? I'll go to prison and death with you. Here's the prison and death moment, and he's drawing up swords, you know. Maybe, maybe he thought that he's all patriotic and hopped up here and thought, okay, this is the moment where we're going to charge the battlefield and die trying or go to prison for our valiant rebellion or whatever. I don't know, but gives you a picture of Peter. I'd say that there's a little bit to be said here. He was a violent guy if he lost it. He wasn't afraid to get crazy. I mean, this is after... This is after three years with Jesus, and he yanks a sword out and tries to kill a guy. I mean, you don't cut an ear off unless you're swinging at somebody's head. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he was trying to cut his ear off. That would be insanely ridiculous. He was trying to kill him, I think. Go to Matthew 26, almost done. 
with the Gospels here. Almost done. Matthew 26 is also an incredibly familiar moment. And this is while Jesus is on trial. Matthew 26, verse 69 says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, Hey, you, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. Why do you think she says the Galilean? What if I said, you're from Jersey just like him? How would I know? Accent. Yeah, that's the idea. It's like, you're with that hillbilly or you're with that Yankee or whatever you want to say. You know, you're, you're with him. And he says, watch this. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 71, and when he went out into the entrance, another servant girl, it's funny, servant girls both times, I don't know what the, why that, but that's the case, saw him, and she said to the bystanders, so she says to the crowd around them all, hey, this guy was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man, I swear, I don't know him, don't know the guy. Verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders, so the crowd keeps on talking. The crowd's like, yeah, yeah, that's him. I know that's him. I know he, I saw him. Yeah, you saw him. I saw him. So that starts to build. Then they came and they said to Peter again, certainly, oh yeah, bro, you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. So there, Platt tells you, be like if somebody walked in here into our room and sat down with all of us and had a really thick, thick, thick Australian accent. And then a few minutes later, another person walked in this room with a very thick, thick, thick Australian accent. Your natural assumption is what? They're together. Yeah, it'd be, you know, they're together. So the same kind of idea. So, yeah, you, you're together. I know you are. Verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself. What does that mean? Modern day language, pardon me for saying it. Modern day language is I'll be damned if I do. Yeah, don't tell me I know him. I'll be damned if I do know him. That's that's what he's saying. And then he says, I don't. He swears, so he starts cussing. Maybe he's dropping it, you know, four-letter words. I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went away and wept bitterly. That's pretty hard. So you know he was heartbroken. Go to John 21. Let's see what happens after the cross. And we'll be done with the Gospels here. Remember, we're just getting a picture of him. John 21. It's pretty crazy. John 21, the disciples have gone back to fishing now. (laughs) So Peter's like, okay, well, I'm going fishing. So he goes back to go fishing. The others do as well. And then Jesus appears on the shore and yells out to him in the water and tells him, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And they do. And again, the nets nearly sink the boat. And what does Peter do? Do you know? Jumps out into the water and swims to the shore. Again, crazy moment. Just getting a picture of what kind of dude he is. Just they don't even wait. Just hits the water and he swims to the shore. The other disciples have to pull in the load by themselves. But, you know, who's wrong here necessarily? It's not, it's not about that. But anyway, Peter comes up on the shore. Jesus has some fish there already. They have breakfast. And then in verse 15 of 21, it says, When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this three times, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. I think he slipped to smart mouth again here for just a second. I think he's like, Lord, you know, what are you talking? You know everything. Why do you keep asking me this? You already know the answer. You know everything. Why do you keep asking? Why does he ask him three times? Denied him three times. I, I, we can't say that's a definitive fact, but I, I believe that. Most, most people do. I think he's asking him three times in an act of restoration because he not denied him three times. But what's he telling him to do? What's happening here? Yeah, build his church. He said, I'm going to build my church on your confession. You are Peter, the rock. I'm going to build my church. See what he said, his first name. He said to Simon, the rock. I'm going to build my church on you. And here's what you need to do. He gives him responsibility three times. What is it? Shepherd my, feed my sheep. Who feeds the sheep? Shepherd, right? In terms of the church? Pastor. That's what the word pastor means, shepherd. So he's literally calling him a pastor. He's telling him, you pastor this church. But he also prepares them for death. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now, we could wrestle with what all that means, but we don't have to because it tells us. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to what? Glorify God. That's such an awesome sentence. Not what kind of death he was going to die. What kind of death he was going to glorify God. So as horrible as whatever was going to happen to Peter was going to be, he's telling him up front that that's going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, you want to follow me wherever I go? Now you've got your chance. Now follow me. And Peter's life ends pretty bad. Don't turn to this. We don't, we, we don't have time and we'll get to it anyway. But the books of Peter, or the writings of Peter, especially Second Peter, were at a point of life where he was facing his death. He was going to his death and he was writing to his, the church as he was going to his death. And Second Peter 1.14 says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So he, Jesus told me a long time ago at this point. He says, And I will make... Every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things that he's been teaching. So early church history tells us that Peter died a martyr in Rome between A.D. 67 and 70. Uh, Early church fathers record that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same way that Jesus did. I don't know if that's factual enough to fight about, but there's no reason to doubt it. And the church fathers have recorded it. And for context in terms of time, period, Nero went insane and burned Rome and then blamed the Christians for it, which led to the most famous Christian persecution in history that you always think of when you think about the persecuted Christians lighting the streets with candles that were burning Christian bodies and things like that. All of that happened in 64 A.D. Nero died in 68 A.D. So this is the time period when Peter is there. All right, and then in 72 A.D., the Colosseum was started by Vespucian, and it was finished in 80 A.D. by Titus. You know what went on in that Colosseum? 
So all of this was the time period that you're going to want to think about when Peter is writing what he's writing in First and Second Peter, and he's in Rome doing it. So that'll give you an idea of what's going on. So real quick, what happens once Peter leaves? I mean, once Jesus leaves, what happens with Peter? Well, Acts chapter 2, we'll finish with. That's when he preaches, when he feeds the sheep the first time. We'll come back to that real quick. Jump to two other places. Go to Acts 2, or just one other place. Acts 10, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10. This is after now. Listen, you got to know, Peter, man, Peter preaches, man. He preaches in Acts 2. We'll come back to it. To the killers. All right. And then he turns around and he starts his first church and he becomes the first pastor. And he is zealous for that church, man. He even preaches to the Sanhedrin and he gets locked up in prison. He gets beaten. He gets all these things that happen to him. In fact, he's so zealous for this church that he's the one that calls out Ananias and Sapphira who are struck down by God. I mean, he was legit, but he wasn't perfect. Still had some racism issues. (laughs) Acts chapter 10 Verse 9, this is when Cornelius, this Roman governor, has sent for Peter to come, or Roman centurion, I'm sorry, has sent for Peter to come to his home. And it's a long story. You can read it in your own time. But they show up at Peter's house. But when they show up, as they're approaching the house, Peter is on the roof. And uh, verse 10 says, he became hungry, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, Peter did. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet, like a big bed sheet or table sheet or something, descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. What's he saying there? He's a good Jew. I never broke the law. I don't eat, you know, cloven hooves and all that bunch of them. I don't do that, Lord. I've never done that. I'm not starting now. I would never break the law. And the voice came to him a second time saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. Somebody said last night that Simon must have been hard-headed because it took three times for him to get everything that he seemed to get here. But it happened three times. Now, is this talking about the food loss? No. And and we know that for a couple of reasons, but there's a real good reason why we know it's not talking about God making the food clean. Why? Why don't we know he's not talking about food here in terms of, hey, from now on, all food is clean. Jesus already did that. Jesus did that a long time ago. Jesus already declared all foods clean a long time ago. So that's not what this is about. This is about something else. And Peter doesn't get it. Verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they call out and they ask for him. Verse 19 says, while he was still pondering the vision, the Spirit said, Holy Spirit said, hey, I sent these guys to you. Get up, go with them. And he does. Okay? So he's still trying to figure out what this whole vision was about. He didn't get it either. Till he goes with them to Cornelius's place, verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and begins to preach. And he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. In other words, God wants me preaching to everybody. So he starts to preach and he preaches the gospel to them. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the, the Jewish believers that had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So, this is, not, this is not the moment that the gospel goes to the Gentiles. A lot of people say that. It's not. Why not? When did the gospel go to the Gentiles? 
Huh? Paul, Paul, Paul did. Yeah, but this is this is not this is before that. Pentecost, it could be said. Preached to the Jews. How about Jesus, period? I mean, Jesus preached to the Gentiles, too. He said, I came for the lost sheep of Israel, but he turned around and let a Canaanite woman in. You know what I mean? He preached to the Gentiles consistently as well. He came to both Jews and Gentiles. He came for the Jew, the promise to the Jews, but he did it, Jews and Gentiles, all the way. This shouldn't have been this big a shocker to Peter. In fact, in the Old Testament, Israel was to be a light to the who? Nations. It says a light to the nations. That word nations is the word Gentiles. So they were supposed to be. This shouldn't have been a revelation to Peter. It shows Peter had a little bit of an issue. Racism, so to speak. Patriotism, maybe. In fact, you can read on your own time, but in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says he had to slap Peter around a little bit because Peter was playing both sides of the fence. He was looking like a Jew, looking like a Jew or a Gentile or just a common dude until the real religious Jews showed up. And then he went and said, oh, I don't I don't fool with those dirty Gentiles. You know, and he had to slap him around. So even afterwards, Peter still had some issues. And you need to remember all these things as we talk about him. So go back to Acts chapter 2 and we'll end with this. Last thing, we're just reading it. Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up to preach. So remember this. Remember this whole picture we've painted of him. And this is his first sermon as an evangelist. Verse 14 of chapter 2 of Acts. But Peter... Standing with the eleven, the Holy Spirit's come down, all that. You know, they hear the, them speaking in their own tongues and all this stuff. Peter lifted up his voice and addressed the crowd and said, starts to shout, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. How do you think he's saying this, by the way? Huh? What, what do you picture his voice sounding like? Loud. I think even maybe angry. I do. I think maybe even angry. Because the tone here is hard. And he's standing in Jerusalem where they had just crucified Jesus for the same thing. And now he is shouting at him. He's saying, these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel. You got that much of Joel memorized? How does he quote Joel? Where'd that come from? Just quoted scripture, man. That's a chunk to quote, too. Men of Israel, verse 22. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him right in front of you. As you yourselves know, you saw these miracles yourself. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Think of how much theology there is in that one little sentence. And I'm not going into it all right now, but delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But you crucified Jews by the hands of lawless men. What does lawless men mean? doesn't mean criminals. Outside the Jewish law. He's talking about the Romans. You had him killed at the hands of the Romans. Man, he just throwing it down on them. But that's, there's so much theology in that one sentence. What, what level of education do you think Peter had? Well, he was a disciple at this point for sure, three years with Jesus. But I'm saying he, he had probably a third-grade education. He's a fisherman, our version of a third-grade education, and then went to the family business. That's what he did. 
But this dude knows this. He's quoting scripture. He's throwing down theology. No, no seminary, except that he's been with Jesus. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, he quotes scripture about David. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, still dead and in the ground. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah. And he goes on. He interprets. So he's quoting scripture and now he's interpreting scripture. He's explaining it for you. That's what a pastor does. Preaches scripture and then explains scripture. And then he goes on to say, verse 32, just Jesus God raised up and we are all witnesses. We've all seen it. And he's exalted at the right hand of God. He's poured the spirit out. He's making a call here for you to respond. And he says, David did not ascend to the heaven. Again, he quotes scripture in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. So now you got the application of scripture. So he's presented scripture. He's explained it. Now he's applying it. What do we do? Repent and believe. And it says, as you know, that about 3,000 souls were added to their number that day and devoted themselves to their teaching, and the church is born. And Peter's the pastor. So keep all this in mind when you think about Peter. Last thing, I don't want to focus everything on Peter. Focus everything on Christ, on God. How do you see God in Peter's life? What does it make you see about God? He uses flawed people. That's my favorite. We can say a lot of things. God's in control. God's sovereign. God's got a plan. God's patient. Uh, God's got a sense of humor. Uh, we could say a lot of things. But I think that's the best one. And the reason I like that one is because that's the practical what do you do with it. This is just a fisherman, man. This is just a fisherman with a potential third grade education that he turned into not just an apostle, but the apostle on which he planted his entire church. That's amazing. If God can do that with, with an ordinary guy like him, what can he do with me or you or, who, you know, that, that stuff blows me away. The other thing, too, is you want to see the gospel in it. And this is awesome. The gospel is real simple. It's a changed life. You just read his life. And guess what? Well, tell me about Peter's drug and alcohol addiction. Didn't have one that we know of. Yeah, he didn't have one. It's not part of his testimony. He didn't have any kind of great story like you hear all these wild, crazy stories. Only thing we know is that his life was changed because he was with Jesus. Acts 4.12, you know what it says? You may have it memorized. There's salvation in no other name but Jesus. Acts 4.13, the people hearing Peter say this literally say, Are these not these uneducated Jews from the hills? Obviously, they've been with Jesus. That's a testimony. That's it. That's a testimony. Peter suddenly knew how to use this. And like the Jews said of Jesus when he spoke, Jesus spoke as one who had authority, not like the scribes. That's how Peter's speaking. One who has authority, not like some religious people. That's a testimony.